Hello and welcome to the Personal Investor Podcast. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, what would you give to be able to buy shares at a discount to their market value? Believe it or not, one common type of investment allows you to do just that. On the face of it, at least, investment trusts are often the choice of seasoned investors. Are they right for you? That's the focus today. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. Investment trusts are among the oldest ways to invest anywhere, but despite having been around a long time, they often go ignored by ordinary investors. Different in structure from other types of more familiar funds, they often invest in exactly the same assets and, thanks to that structure, they can enjoy advantages when they do so. But like everything in investment, there are risks as well. So should you invest in investment trusts? To answer that, I'm joined by Tom Stevenson, Investment Director here at Fidelity. Tom, as I mentioned there, investment trusts can be overlooked by many people, and yet more experienced investors often swear by them. Uh, Why do you think that is? Yeah. um, Hi, Ed. So, So investment trusts are in some ways similar to the more traditional, more popular uh, open-ended funds. They they, they are both collective investments. They invest in a wide uh, range of underlying um, investments. But but as you uh, say, there are also a number of structural differences uh, between open-ended funds and investment trusts, which are um, essentially uh, closed-ended funds. And and, and maybe I'll come on to to explain that in, in, in a moment. But Broadly speaking, uh, you know, they can be a bit more complex, but also they can create more more opportunities for investors. So they can they can be good for for confident investors who maybe think that they can uh, judge what's going to happen in the market. So they can maybe try and time the market, which is normally something we, uh, uh, you know, recommend people people don't do. But they do provide that opportunity for more confident investors. Uh, they can be good for, for investors looking for an income. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the benefit of of, of Good governance because they are um, uh, overseen by by independent boards, and they can be very good for investing in maybe more obscure or illiquid um, parts of the market. So, quite a lot of differences and quite a lot of opportunities for investors. Yeah, and, and we're going to get into some of those differences. Mm. Um, let's just dwell on the jargon if we if we dare, um, <laughs> because people will see this 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 terminology come up and it can be confusing. Open ended funds, um, they are. What I guess the what most funds that people are familiar with are they're open ended because when a new person comes to invest in them, what the fund administrator or manager can do is issue more units mm-hmm. for these new investors. They're open ended. There's no limit on that. That's what the openness uh, refers to. Closed ended funds. There's a limited number of units but actually their shares mm. there's a limited number of those and you buy those limited number on the open market because investment trusts are effectively companies aren't they they're comparable in in the fact that they're a collective investment a pooled investment but they are themselves companies with shares that you can buy yes that's absolutely right and that and that is a key difference which has uh, implications for the fund manager uh, of the trust or, or or the fund because uh, the manager of an open-ended fund is constantly having to deal with more money coming into the fund or having to sell assets in order to 
um, pay money back to investors who want to redeem their fund. So it's a much more fluid situation. Yeah. Uh, and that can present difficulties uh, for the manager, especially if they're investing in uh, a, a more illiquid um, asset where it's difficult to, to, to buy and sell at a good price. So in other words, they can be a forced seller, uh, which is always a bad thing to be uh, for an investor. So the 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 investment trust, which is a closed-ended fund, as you rightly described, it has a, a fixed number of shares. Um, uh, that's a much more stable um, uh, vehicle for the fund manager because they don't have to worry about money coming in or money going out. They can simply invest the money that they have for the long term. Yeah, uh, and, and we're going to come on to some of those examples of illiquid assets where maybe, maybe investment trusts uh, make sense. But what, there's also this point about investment trusts being uh, of very long standing, right? I mean, some of these names have been around um, since the Victorian era, haven't they? It's um, yes, I think the old. I mean, I think the oldest investment trust is, is from from the eighteen sixties, as as long as long ago as that. So they are, you know, they're they're a very traditional part of the investment landscape. Yeah, and and I, I was I was trying to think of. Um, well, I thought of an analogy, Tom, that I thought you might <laughs> you, you might appreciate because I know that you're no you're no stranger to a, a wine list. <laughs> and uh, my my analogy would be between between sort of uh, open ended funds and, and investment trusts. It's a bit like the new world of wine and then the old world of wine. And the old world, you know, maybe you're used to buying sort of you know new world wines. It's all about the grape variety in the country or what have you. Mm-hmm. And then you suddenly come across these old world French wines, and it's they're suddenly talking about Chateau this or <laughs> Village that, whatever they whatever it is. And it's a bit similar, you know, new, you know, open-ended funds, they pretty much do what they say on the tin. It's mm. it's Asian, smaller companies, value, you know, you can work it out. It's harder, isn't it, with investment trusts? They, you, it's a bit opaque. They, they have sort of esoteric names. Um, it's not automatically obvious what's going on inside you need yes, to know a bit that's very true that's a, that's a quite a nice analogy and and you're right about the uh, about the names i mean some of them have some pretty uh, uh, exotic and frankly misleading names i mean the one that always <laughs> springs to mind of course is scottish mortgage yeah. investment trust which um, to do with mortgages. Well, nothing to do with mortgages <laughs> and it's not really anything to do with scotland actually no. because it's a global uh, global fund which actually focuses on technology shares largely these days uh, but yeah yeah, yeah. So that that's sort of uh, it, why, and and you know, you need to kind of get under the bonnet of investment trusts to sort of understand them. Um, one very very important point to make about their structure, because you are buying shares, the value of your investment is whatever the value of the shares is. Um, now that's not necessarily the same as the value of what's in the trust. Yeah, absolutely. So an investment trust uh, does trade like a share. So its price is ultimately determined by supply and demand. If there are more sellers of that share, then its price will go down. If there are more people wanting to buy the share, then then then, then its price will go up. So although the share price is connected to the underlying value of the, of the investments within the investment trust, uh, which is usually described as the net asset value, mm-hmm. uh, there is usually a difference between the share price and the net asset value. And in the jargon of investment trusts, um, we talk about the shares trading at a premium to net assets or at a discount to net assets. And this is one of the this is one of the opportunities that I talked about earlier on because uh, it gives an investor the opportunity. It, well, it's what you said in your introduction. It gives the investor the opportunity to buy shares on the cheap, if you like, at yeah. a discount. 
it's more complicated than that, but that is the opportunity. And I guess people listening to this might wonder why on earth that would ever arise, that opportunity, because, you know, investors are always quick to spot an opportunity if you can buy the, you know, the same number of assets for cheaper. Why does that state of affairs come about? Well, it comes about because that's what stock markets do. They they look forward to the future. They anticipate changes in the in the situation, in the economic circumstances. So um, the net asset value, which is a statement of fact at the moment, or indeed is probably a slightly backward looking uh, statement uh, of the of the um, uh, of the financial situation of the investment trust. The share price is, is constantly looked forward f- to what might happen. So if investors are nervous about a market or a sector of the economy, um, then they may well sell those shares and drive the share price to a, to a discount. Uh, and all that is doing is anticipating what might happen to those net assets that we talked about. Yeah, and, and when you follow investment charts over sort of longer periods and you see this happening, you see might you might see one sector of investment trust, maybe it's the, the, the trusts investing in the UK or in, um, you know, more esoteric investments to do with a certain industry or what have you, um, they might all trade at a premium for a period. And that's because the market in general is very uh, optimistic about that particular sector or region. Um, and then sometimes they can fall out of favour and you see these discounts. Yeah, and and, and, and the sort of the, the good example of that um, uh, is the property sector. Uh, that's the, the a t- sort of topical uh, example of that because um, there is a lot of anxiety about the commercial property sector at the moment. And um, while the the valuation of of properties can take some time to actually be reflected in their stated net asset value, the stock market is very quick Mm -hmm. to anticipate declines in in valuation. So what we've seen uh, recently is, is a widening discount between the share prices of real estate investment trusts, which is a common way of investing in uh, in real estate, and the and the asset value. So they're trading at a big discount at the moment. Well, that leads me to my next question, which is, if people can see a discount on an investment trust, that's not all the information you need, is it? Because as you say, there might be really good reasons why those discounts exist. You need to have some context around what that discount has been in the past. Yes. So while the discount can present an opportunity for investors, if they think that, you know, maybe the market is too pessimistic about a situation, then a wide discount might might be might represent an attractive buying uh, opportunity. But you're constantly as an investor having to make a judgment about how reasonable that that discount or premium um, is. I mean, if a, if a, and it works in the opposite direction as well. If if a, if a, an investment trust is invested in an area of the market which is um, growing very fast, for example, um, investors may be willing to pay a small premium to the asset value because yeah. they anticipate that the, the value is going to increase in future. Yeah. Now. Um Let's tick off some of the other areas of complexity around investment trusts. You've actually mentioned a, a few of them, um, which do mean they behave in slightly different ways to a very similar and comparable fund of a, a sort of open-ended type. Um, one of the differences is uh, something that is called gearing. There's a simpler name for that. What does it mean? Yes. So uh, what gearing refers to is the ability of investment trusts to borrow money uh, to invest 
in addition to the money that they've been given by investors mm -hmm. when the when the investment trust was set up or when there have been subsequent um, uh, money raising money raising events so the ability to borrow money is a is a fundamental difference between an open ended fund um, and an investment trust. The way I like to think about um, gearing or borrowing um, is um, is by comparing it to a mortgage. So, you know, and the mortgage is a very extreme example because people tend to borrow um, a high proportion of the value of a house um, mm -hmm. uh, when they when they when when they buy it. But if you so if you think of an example, let's, so take a very simple example. Um, you know, you buy um, a, a million pound house. Uh, you only have £100,000 yourself, so you borrow £900,000. Now, let's imagine that the housing market rises by 10%. So the value of that house goes from £1 million to £1.1 million. The value of your equity, the amount of money that, that you actually own in that house, goes from £100,000 to £200,000. Yeah. So the market has gone up by 10% and you have doubled your money. That's mm -hmm. a very extreme example of gearing. Now, with an investment trust, it's, 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 it's going to be much less um, extreme than that. So, for example, a trust may have the ability to borrow 10 to 15% of the assets of the fund. So what the effect that it will have the same effect, but, but to a lesser extent, it will magnify movements. But crucially, it will magnify movements in both directions. Yeah. Uh, because to take the mortgage example, if the value of your house fell from a million pounds to nine hundred thousand pounds, the value of your hundred thousand pound of equity would be wiped out. Mm. So it, it it does make investing in investment trusts um, uh, more volatile and more risky um, if the investment trust is using that ability to, to borrow money. Okay, um, uh, that's not the only difference though. Uh, there's some other uh, important differences, aren't there, with, when it comes to investment trusts. One is to do with how they pay out the dividends that are generated by the companies that they invest in. Yes, that's right. So, so an open-ended fund, broadly speaking, has to pass on all the dividend income that it receives to the investors in the open-ended fund. It's not the same... Uh, state of affairs for, for an investment trust, they have the ability to hold back some of the dividend income. So in the good years, when they're getting a lot of dividend income, they may choose to hold some of it back so that in future years, when maybe the economy is not doing so well uh, and dividends are falling, they're able to release some of those reserves, some of those dividends that they've held back. And that enables them to deliver a smoother um, uh, stream of dividends uh, and hopefully a, a, a smoother growth in dividend income to their investors. And indeed, there are many, uh, well, there are some investment trusts which have delivered steadily rising uh, income streams for many years, more than yeah. 20, more than 50 in, in one or two cases. They make a point of it, right? I mean, they make a point of, of, of always increasing their dividends in cash terms, not inflation adjusted, sadly, mm. but in cash terms, it always tends to go higher. And as you say, there's there's trusts with multi-decade records of doing this, which suggests that they're not going to give up that record easily. Absolutely, absolutely not. And that can be very attractive to an income-seeking investor. So, you know, if you for someone, for example, who is who is uh, in retirement and is drawing an income from their uh, from their investments, might might be very attracted to the thought that they can 
secure a, an income of you know three, four, five percent, whatever it is, but with the prospect that it's very likely that that income is just going to grow a little bit year after year, uh, and that will help offset the the impact of inflation. And and one thing which you have already mentioned, which is this point around illiquid assets and you, you raise property there that's really a, a reflection of the fact that if you invest in bricks and mortar um there might be thousands maybe millions of investors in these big buildings physical buildings but they can't just walk off with their little share of it yeah, right a so few bricks yeah. in, indeed so um when uh, a more traditional not more traditional but a, a, an open-ended fund needs to meet redemptions i.e people want to sell out of a fund like that it's got to raise money and ultimately it may even have to sell properties to actually raise that money if it can't do that in the short term it can do all sorts of nasty sounding things like restricting the money you can withdraw from those funds until the money is raised or the demand for redemptions calms or what have you investment trusts don't need to worry about that as you as you said yeah, that's right. And, and that can make uh, an investment trust a very good, suitable vehicle for investing in that particular sector because it's illiquid. But there are other parts of the market uh, which are also um, uh, less liquid. I mean, investing in smaller companies is is a good example. Um, we, I mean, we have we have one investment trust actually on our Select 50 list. In fact, it's one of my recommended funds um, uh, this year uh, called the the Edinburgh Worldwide Investment Trust. That is a that is a, a specialist smaller company uh, trust. It invests in smaller companies uh, and it does it through the through the vehicle of a, of an investment trust, which is which is quite suitable because it can avoid being a forced seller um, uh, at a time when maybe you don't get a good price for, for yeah. smaller companies. Smaller companies are, are a bit like property, a good example of, 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 a, of an asset class that works well with um, investment trusts. Okay, well, um, look, that I would say is a pretty, uh, a whistle stop, but quite a thorough um, summary of how investment trusts work. But do they work right now, Tom? Because uh, you've written this week about some potentially attractive opportunities uh, in the investment trust space. Yeah, so I was looking at a particular area of the market. So I was looking at the, the UK, which um, uh, which feels to me like, you know, one of the cheaper markets in the world. Uh, and there are good reasons for that. There are some, some uh, specific challenges to the UK economy at the moment, which we don't need to go into now, but will be familiar to most people. Um, so I was looking at the UK and I, and I, and I was just looking at... Um, uh, there were quite a lot of UK-focused investment trusts, uh, and because of the the you know the the widely reported difficulties in in the UK uh, economy at the moment, some of those investment trusts uh, focused on the UK are trading at quite a wide um, discount to their to their assets. Um, the UK happens to be quite a high dividend-paying. Um, market as well. So I was just wondering whether there's an opportunity there to buy a good income stream at a discount. Um, and also then I, I factored in this, this um, what, what's called the dividend heroes, these, these, mm. these investment trusts which are uh, able to, to pay rising dividends steadily year after year after year. And quite a number of them are focused on the UK. So if you're a UK investor um, at the moment, you're looking for opportunities there. It struck me that there there are a number of opportunities within this specific uh, area of investment trust. Uh, and, and does that mean, though, Tom, if these discounts have widened, does that mean you're betting against the market somewhat here? Because is the market not saying, well, we don't like the, the, the sort of prospects of these 
UK focused trust. So, you know, we think that, you know, the shares are worth less than the assets normally are worth. Mm -hmm. You're disagreeing with that somewhat. Uh, Essentially, that's what you're doing. And that, I think, is why uh, investment trusts tend to be favoured by um, sort of more sophisticated investors, because essentially you are you are making a judgment about Mm. the validity of that of that discount. Um, You know, many investors won't feel that they have the experience or the knowledge to do that and they won't be interested in doing it. Um, that's why I think, you know, investment trusts do appeal to that more sort of hobbyist, if you like, more engaged investor. Yeah, and we should just end on a point really, which is that we've said that, you know, there's a lot of positives around investment trusts. Um, also, we haven't really mentioned it, but the governance of the management of the trust, all, the, all these things work in your favour as an investor. Um, but let's not uh, underrate what extra volatility means mm. it can be uncomfortable can't it we've seen that this year in particular and uh, investment trusts probably are going to be a little bit bumpier in terms of the, the returns that they deliver yeah absolutely that's it's a, a really key point to make uh, i mentioned that edinburgh worldwide investment trust before um, if you look at the performance of that investment trust over the last year when Markets have fallen in anticipation of maybe tougher times in 2023, maybe a recession. Um, The market as a whole has fallen, but the value of that trust has fallen by a lot more than the market overall. So if you are going to invest uh, in this way, then you need to do it with your eyes open and and realise that there is the potential for more volatility. And these investments are not for everyone. Yeah, and and long time horizons as well. I mean, that, that just makes all that easier to take. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the, the ups and downs of the market will 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 come out in the wash over the long term. Um, but, uh, you know, you need to have the stomach for that volatility in the meantime. OK, OK. Well, Tom, that is all the time we have for now. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Ed. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.